So let's continue in our understanding as the Holy Spirit is communicating to us bit by bit the understanding, the meaning, hopefully an increased experience of what God's love is. Hopefully in doing so, stripping us of the typical way that we would consider God's love. Because here's the problem that even believers have. We have a tendency, and all of us have this, to associate God's love, to understand God's love, to speak about God's love, as it is associated or determined within our understanding of our own love. You understand what I mean? And so what we typically do, even as believers, we say, well, God would not do such and such. If God is love, why is he doing the other? How many of us have asked that kind of question? And maybe if we didn't ask it verbally, our guts asked it when something was going on. You know what I mean by that? Something's happening. Something is being said. Something is being misunderstood. Something is being left out, whatever it is. And we get that gut feeling. This isn't what? This isn't what? What's the word? What word? When something is going on, we don't like it. We don't agree with it. What do we typically think? This is not right. Do do we get that? It's not right. It's not right that, and we begin to proclaim what we believe is right. And so let's do it right now. Happy birthday to you. Boom. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Kevin. Happy birthday to you. All right. (laughs) See, I I was going there. And that's not right. (laughs) Kevin, how old are you? How old are you? 50. I mean, how old are you, Kevin? 52 years old. He was born the same year Gene and I were married. So, whatever. It's not right. I I, I want to take time to drill this into us because if I don't, what we are learning won't connect. You see, what we are learning and what we are teaching must connect. And it must connect on a very visceral, you know, gut level in us to make it real. Something has happened. How many of us have had any experience this week at all where we felt, we thought, even for a moment, whether we pursued it or not, this is not right? How many of us have had anything this week that this is not right? Something has happened in the world system. Something has happened politically. Something has happened whatever. You know, the coronavirus. This is not what? This isn't right. 
This isn't right that what's happening there should affect us. It's not right that what that man decided to do is, do we get it? Are we getting this? And so what we're doing with that thought, may I say it this way, with that theology, please note, this is a theological comment. And it is a comment or a theological statement about God. We must understand what we're doing. This isn't right. It should be this way. It shouldn't be that way, et cetera, et cetera. We don't think that these are theological statements. And certainly we don't think we're talking about God, do we? Karen, do you ever think that's, you're saying that about God? No. You're just expressing an opinion of what love should be according to your definition, according to what we understand, what we like, what serves our benefit, what serves us, right? Are we with me now? It's not right. I've lost my train of thought. Give me a moment. I'm old. It, It happens. So in order to, what we're saying essentially when this isn't right, we're saying God is not right. God is not right. And the reason we think that is because we have a faulty understanding of the righteousness of God. We have a faulty understanding of what righteous love is. And then we project onto God our concept and understanding and experience of love. And then we begin to evaluate God. We do. We evaluate God. And so that's why this study is so significant. As the Holy Spirit is peeling our understandings and experience of love like you peel an onion to get down to the very core issue. And that issue is this. God's love is revealed only in one man and through one man. And we'll continue as we continue with this to understand what that is. And so what we've been doing for the last several weeks is studying the absolute attributes, remember, of God. Those attributes which combined, comprehensively taken all together, make up what we call the nature of God. And we've studied just five of them, although there are many more than five. And we said that an absolute attribute is what? An attribute which is of the essence of who God is. Without this particular or any of these attributes, God would not be God, Al. So what attributes have we studied? We've looked at what? The omniscience of God, which means what? All-knowing. He knows everything comprehensively immediately. Immediately. God knows everything comprehensively and immediately. God isn't waiting for you or me to do something to figure out what we're going to do. He knew it even before he created the world. Can you imagine that, Debbie? He knew your situation before he even said, let there be light. He knew it comprehensively. He knew it. Why? Because he knew you. 
God's foreknowledge. Omnipotent. What does omnipotent mean? Totally, comprehensively, powerful, and able to do anything and everything that is in keeping with his own nature and his character. Not anything at all. Anything that is within the context or in keeping with his own nature and of his own character. He's omnipotent. Um, what, what's the next one? Omnipresent. What does that mean? It means that God is everywhere comprehensively immediately. So this means this. That absolutely all of God is with us in this very room at this moment, while at the same time, all of God is in that place over there completely at the same moment. How can that be? You see, we're so isolated that I know all of me is here at least. How can all of me also be there? That's God. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's also, and David taught these two things, he's also what? Immutable, immutable, unchangeable. There is nothing about God that ever changes or that can change. That means that Malachi 3, 6, I, Yahweh, do not change. I, the Lord, do not change. That means that God is incapable of any change whatsoever as to his nature, his character, and his purpose. And that there is, if there is any change, that means that God is not perfect. Because perfection necessitates that nothing can be better. Therefore, there can be no what, Steve? Change. That which is perfect is perfect. So God is what? Immutable. That means his ways with his people, his purpose for us, is without any change. And that immutability is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. And what was the fifth one we studied? What, did, what was the fifth one, David? Sovereignty. God is what? Sovereign. That means that he is absolutely, completely the ruler, the creator, the controller, the king, the Lord of everything, of all creation forever. That there is nothing apart from God that has in any way, to any extent, any ability to, listen to how am I going to say this, to successfully oppose his will. There is a lot out there that what? Opposes the will of God. But is it successful? Well, it feels like it's successful in me right now. Yesterday this was happening. But that's a temporary success. Is it in the essence of God and in the essence of his purpose? Is anything able to successfully oppose God's will? Yes or no? No. This is why Paul can say in Philippians 1.6. What does Paul say in Philippians 1.6? Who knows that verse? Who can just quote it? Go ahead. For I am persuaded of this very one thing, that he who has begun a good work in you, the church. What? I hope, I hope, I think, perhaps, 
he what? He will. He will bring it to completion. When? When? In the day of Jesus Christ, which means what? In the day of his appearing for the church. So what we say is this. God's love is omniscient. God's love is omnipotent. God's love is omnipresent. God's love is immutable. God's love is what? Sovereign. Therefore, why does God love us? 1 John 1, 8 and, sorry, 1 John 4, 8 and 16. Why does God love us? Here's the only answer that is biblically accurate. God is love. There's no other answer that's biblically accurate. Now, we may extrapolate or talk about what that means, but that's the answer. So the reason God loves us is within himself, not within us, not having anything to do whatsoever with our own condition or our own behavior. Right, Andy? Would you agree with this? Now, get this in your heart. If God's love is immutable, how can he love us in relation to our mutability and still be loving? If God's love is omnipotent, how can he love us in any way that is incapable of communicating and applying the good of his love. Are you following me this morning? If God's love is omniscient, is there anything about my life, anything at all, to any degree at all, that catches God off guard and say, oh, Bertus, I didn't, man, I saved you whatever years ago, and now you're doing this? Is there anything? Why? Because God's love, Cody, is what? Omniscient. What does that mean? What does omniscient mean? All what? Knowing. He knows it all. He knows it all. He knows it all. He knows it all. Therefore, I am what? Free of any fear of being cast out. Because if he sets his love upon me, That's a right love, a just love. Oh, we, I forgot the word just, didn't I, in our declarings. And then if he withdraws that love from me, having anything whatsoever to any degree because of something in or about me, can he still be love himself, having withdrawn the very essence of his nature from me, having committed himself forever to my and your salvation in the incarnation of his son. Do you see how it works? Are we seeing this today? So Satan's deceivings and lies that want to create in me a question, a concern to 
pull out from underneath me my understanding of God's utter reliability and ability as a result of something in me or about me. Satan's ability to do that is being destroyed, isn't it? Amen? Yes. So this morning, get this. There's certainly a right teaching, absolutely right, of who I am in Christ. But that who I am in Christ is a teaching that is only the truth based on one greater teaching, who this God is in me. Amen? This God, who is himself love, dwells in me and in you and has forever relationally united us with himself, with the Trinity, Second Peter 1, 4, so that we are his people for how long? Forever. Is there anything or anyone that can in any way disrupt effectively, not temporarily, and distort and then kill or destroy or steal the work, the presence, the activity of God's love in me and in you. Is there? No. If there were, then something is greater than the God that we serve. Now, that's what we have already talked about. That's just a slight overview of some of the things we've discussed. If you've not kept up, please keep up. By the way, there are a whole lot of us in this classroom who are in the Alpha uh, class right now, the training. Uh, So when you see them, that's where they are. Just encourage them to keep up with us. That's my passion that we keep up with what God is saying in here. Now, this morning, I know you have notes, but just let's put those aside for a moment. I asked And I took a little longer than I thought I would, but that's how either I am or the Holy Spirit is. Someone's like that. I'm not quite sure whether to blame God or whatever. But we have just been through, what is it, three or four teachings, Andy, on the righteousness of God. I can't remember how many. Three, four, five. You're a technocrat, aren't you? Oh, you just looked it up. See, David knew that I was going to ask the question. He, he, He was right there. And so... I need to make a a comment first before I proceed. When I came to the class last week, all of you remember Andy was teaching. If you weren't here last week, get the CD or online, whatever it is. Andy, does everybody know Andy Thaxton over there? Does everybody remember him? Hey, Andy, you can wave a hand. Okay, fine. Great. Andy, thank you. Andy. Now, so much appreciate these two young fellows. So much appreciate them. But I had a sense by the Holy Spirit, and I need to make sure I tell you this, because otherwise you're going to think, uh-oh, Andy didn't do quite the job he did, and then Peter has to come back and correct him. Well, I felt the Holy Spirit say, next week 
I want you to open the class for any questions. Now, that may take us this week and next week, whatever, but I am willing and totally comfortable with moving along as the Holy Spirit moves us rather than keeping a time schedule, okay? So I am not uncomfortable with the way we're doing it here. In fact, I already feel that I have to take a diversion in all of this concerning this subject in a greater detail because I think the Holy Spirit has shown me we need to go even more so than what we were able to do in one class last week. So I'm going to ask the class, I'll ask the class by what do you call it? email or whatever, if you have any questions about the righteousness of God. This is a massive, massive, massive teaching and understanding. It is at the core, if you would, it is a pivotal place of our understanding and walking in appropriately and correctly the love of God. If we don't have this correct, or at least as correct as we can understand it as the Holy Spirit gives it to us, because we'll never get it correct if you would, because only God has it, what? Correct. But we will have it partially. Why? Because we're finite. But to the extent that God will give it to us, that's the extent to which we need to understand this and every subject, but especially the subject of the righteousness of God and how a just God who will and cannot allow any unrighteousness or the guilty to go free or to be acquitted of their sin. He cannot do that and remain just to himself. He cannot do that and remain God. So how does that work? How does he solve that dilemma when Adam sins? It's not a dilemma until Adam what? Sins. It's not a dilemma yet until Adam says I'm going to eat the fruit. Remember Genesis 3, 6. And he ate. So now we have this dilemma. What do we do? Understanding that is understanding one of the major teachings and emphases of the Word of God as to the glory of God's righteousness, as to the glory of the justice of our God, as to the glory of the love of this triune God. Amen. So I asked, that's why I wanted to explain that. You know me, I don't do things in a word or two. And so it, this is not about Andy. It's not about David. It's not really about anything that any of us have taught. It's just an emphasis I felt the Holy Spirit wanted to say. Look, there are going to be folks in the class who don't get it all. And that's typical. And so um, I'm going to ask for questions today. So Rooster has already right there raised his hand. Does everybody know Rooster? Stand up, Rooster. Let everybody know you. Steve Scalise, everybody. All right. Well, everybody doesn't know him. Now everybody knows you. Wait, hold on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold the microphone, but you're going to talk. If I give it to you, you're worse than I am with words. <laughs> My question is, um, does God love the unsaved? And if so, how can he give them up to hell? All right. That wasn't about the subject, so we'll move on to another question. <laughs> Now, we have, we have two other theologians in this class. We have David and Andy. Andy right now has sweat on his brow, so let's forget him. David looks cross-eyed. Okay. In order to answer this question, and most questions concerning this massive subject, 
I want you to write down this scripture, which I have referred to many, many, many times. And if you don't have this scripture embedded in your heart, not in your mind only, but where? In your heart to say what? Yes, I accept this even though I don't like it. I accept it as the truth of God and I accept it as God's prerogative to be this way, amen? Because God being God is his prerogative to be who he is, right? I want to call you, every time I see you, I want to call you Cleveland, you know. Chris's daddy was Cleveland Chin, whom I knew for years, and so if I call you Cleveland, you understand. But right, Chris, yeah, God has a prerogative, and what is it? To be who he is, amen? And to create things according to his nature, So the verse is, what is the verse? Someone tell me. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Now, when you say this, people think, that's a cop-out. Nope, it's the truth. So what does Deuteronomy 29, 29 say? Somebody either quote it or read it to me so I'll know what I'm talking about. Say it again. The secret things belong to God But those things which he has revealed, which means what? That we have been given by understanding, inspiration, and revelation of the Holy Spirit to understand those things belong to us because he's given them to us and to our children, correct? And so here we are. Now, Rooster, follow me on this. Because you heard in the question, I'm not taunting Rooster, but I'm using him as, a, as an example for all of us. Because how many of you, when we heard this question, kind of in your gut said, yeah, yeah. Come on, come on, come on. Let's let's be truthful. Yes, I want to know. Dwayne, I want to know. That bothers me. Doesn't it bother you? It bothers me that God is this way, doesn't it? Jamal, does it bother you? Do you have a question about it? Ray, do you have a question about this? Yes. Anybody? Sissy, you have a question about this, don't you? What about this? Nick, don't you question this sometimes? Yes. Bob, this bothers me. Josh, it bothers me. Do we see it? I want you to know that. Chris, it bothers me, man. We're going to have to go into next week on this. We can't. No, just forget it. Forget about worried about what next week's going to be. We have to continue. Because this begins to exercise the love of God in us. Do you feel it? What's being challenged here? What was challenged? What was questioned? What was Rooster really questioned? How can God be love and condemn others to hell? And does he love them the same way he loves believers? Do you hear the question? The question is about 1 John 4, 8. The question is about 1 John 4, 16. Get it. Please think this way. Please let the Holy Spirit reorder our thinking. What is the question about? Darren, is God love? That's the question. So, a God of love has created us in his image. Genesis what? 126. But he's created us finite. 
What does that mean? You don't know everything and you can't do everything. Right, Mr. T? You don't know everything, do you? You're ignorant of most things. Julio, 99.99 things you're ignorant of. What does ignorant mean? Not stupid. It means what? I don't know. Even if I gave you .001, that's a lot. Annie, that's a lot, isn't it? And so he's created us finitely. He's created us to live in a time frame, and he is timeless. He's created us with restrictions, et cetera, et cetera. And then that's not the half of it. The second half of it, the other half of it, Jody, is that we're fallen. We're corrupt. And by the way, we'll have to talk about that in relation to Romans. I mean, righteousness. We're corrupt. Every part of our nature has been corrupted. In other words, has been set upside down. The righteousness of God, the very presence of the God of love and of his righteousness and the work of that righteousness and the reality and the power of that righteousness is now no longer part of our fallen nature. None of it. Do we get this? Do we get it? Elaine, none of it. And so... God begins to reveal himself to us. And the totality of God's revelation to us, which is revealed to us in this word of God, is such minuscule percent of who he is. Such a minuscule percent. You know what minuscule means? Little bitty, bitty, bitty. Little bitty, bitty. That if he gave us any more, We don't have the mental, physical, spiritual capacity as finite beings to comprehend it. Now, when we get to heaven with glorified bodies, I believe that that will be the greatest Sunday school class the world has ever known forever because we will be forever learning of our God. And a billion, trillion years from now, we're going to be able to say, ah, Now I'm beginning, not I have, but what? I'm beginning to understand just a little bit about the answer that Rooster has said, asked. Are we getting this today? Because any question that we have about the essence of God must first be couched in and settled in the truth of who God is. And that truth is barely known, even collectively, of all the believers who have ever existed, including Paul, and even including the earthly pre-resurrection Jesus Christ. Remember, I don't know when I'm returning. The Father knows. He didn't tell me that right. Remember that, Tammy? He didn't know. He didn't know. If you would have asked him, where's China? He would have said, I don't know. (gasps) Because it wasn't given to him to know for our salvation purpose or India or whoever or West Wego or maybe Chalmette for for sure. So here's my answer. 
at least here, I think, is the Bible answer. Let me say it that way, my answer. But first, my answer. I don't know. I don't know. Who, who am I to be that I should know? But I do know something because God has addressed this issue. And he has said this. There is a, there is a, can I say it this way and not be irreligious? There is a peculiarity about God's love. A peculiarity that we don't get, but that we have to accept. Why? Because he says these things and he demonstrates them, but yet he doesn't give us a whole lot of definitive explanation giving us Deuteronomy 29, 29 to say, I'm keeping most of this, James, secret from you. You're just going to have to go with what I tell you. And here's what you're going to have to do. Here's the question. I don't like the answer, Lisa, sometimes. I don't feel comfortable with these things. I, I don't, I'm taking a long time, but I'm going to. I, I, you see, I, you hear me, I don't. Peter Davidson, I struggle with this stuff. There's right now a man that none of you know who was dying, and Gene and I know him, and we struggle with this about his salvation or not. Right, D? We struggle with this. And the question is, why don't you save me? You ever ask that question? Am I the only one who ever asked these questions? Shirley, do you ask these questions? Isn't it in your heart to ask? Why, why, why? And the answer is, all that God does and all that God does not do is right. I am not required to understand everything. In fact, I can't. Lester, I can't. Not even for your Bible study on Saturday morning. I can't. And you can't either. And there is ingrained in us an uncomfortability, Dwayne, about not knowing because we want to know. And that desire to know is a good and godly created desire in us, but it is to know our God and not know everything else definitively. Steve, did you hear me? That desire is good. We are to know and want to know, but it is be, to be directed toward our God and not ourselves and our own inquisitiveness. So I don't know. But here's what I do know. God's decision to be glorified, and if you read Romans 9, 10, 11, you'll see this. To be glorified in the salvation of his people and to be glorified in the damnation of everyone else. Is it right or not? Is that right or not? Is it right or not? Is it right or not? It's right. But do you hear your hesitation? How many of you are hesitating? Come on. How many hesitate? We, we, it's like we have something in our throat. Oh, Chris. 
We, we hesitate. Why? Because our guts say it's wrong. And the thing that says it's wrong in me is the fallen flesh. Not the, not the presence of God in me. Are we seeing something about ourselves in this today? Come on, come on. Are we or not? Rosa, we seeing something about our own preoccupation and absorption with me. My, mine, and our projection of that upon our God. Every heresy has come about as man in his essential ignorance has concocted a theology that explains God within the context of his own finite, fallen, frail, weak, undone condition. Every theology, every heresy, right? Every heresy, you name it. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. And seeks to recreate God in our image rather than us walking in the image of our God. And so when Adam and Eve and when Adam grasped for that fruit to know good and evil, to know the essence of God's goodness and the evil that is opposed to it, to know that essence outside of knowing God, they grasped for that. And when they did, they lost the ability to know God. They lost the ability. Almost all of it or all of it? All of it. Don't you ever believe, honey child, that on your own you can know anything about God? Every bit of it. And so, does God love everyone the same way? Well, Rooster, you asked this question. You know this man next to you, what's his name? Charles Pouillon, right? Right? That's a name. You can, you can say yes. It's okay. It's not a trick question. Now, do you have any children? How many? Three. Now, do you love Charles? Do you love him? Yes. It's okay. This is not a gender confusion class in here. Trust me. Listen to the question and answer. Listen carefully. Listen and apply it to God. We're made in his image. And we still reflect the image of God even though in fallen humanity, that image has not been erased. It's been polluted and corrupted, but not erased. Now, you love this man. Do you love your three children? Is the love that you have for your three children the same kind and level of love that you have for Charles Pouillon? So, you would treat for Charles (laughs) Pouillon. Is he in the will? Is he in the will? Is he in the will? You know, I thought you were half asleep, but I like you. I, I, I must begin. Look, 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 look. If your son, you have a son? Yeah. If your son were to die today and Charles would die today, which one do you think would grieve your heart more deeply? I think I'd probably grieve the same. You'd grieve the same? Yes. How many of you would grieve the same over your child's death as someone else's death? Yes. 
No. I think you're probably, I understand what you're saying, but the probability is that the grief for your son will be deeper than the grief for Charles Pullion. But do you understand what I'm asking here? Is God's love for all of us like our love, the general love that we have or supposed to have for humanity? Yes. Is our love for one another as God's love for us to be a specific kind of love, working a specific issue in us? That is not being worked in all humanity. Yes. In other words, and this is a horrible thing to say in today's world, God's love is a distinguishing or discriminating love. Now, we don't like the word discrimination, do we? And yet, to be a Christian, we are discriminating. We are discriminating people. What does that mean? We have been set aside by God, discriminating against all others, and including us into himself. We don't like that. Amen? But yet, is God right? Yes. Next week, uh, we'll deal with Chris Spencer's question and maybe other questions, but are there other questions about the righteousness of God? Would you, how many others would have asked a question today? No one else. All of you have it completely right. Two, a couple of people over here. Okay. Well, next week, we just have to continue with this. I can't allow us to go forward in this and, and, and have a ship where there's still too many theological holes in the hull. One more warning. We're never going to understand it fully. All we're going to do is increase a little bit in our understanding as the Holy Spirit gives it to us. Amen? Thanks so much for coming.